Welcome to episode 141 of the Fitness Simplified Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Schlock. Now, since you're listening to this podcast, I'm going to assume that you have some kind of goal to look better, feel better, move better, perform better, get stronger, and you know I'm here for every single one of those things. You're likely also interested in your health. I bet you get your mammogram and your pap smear and you pay attention to your blood pressure. But have you spent much time considering your bone health? Not the sexiest of topics, I know. But listen to just the first five minutes of this podcast with my special guest as she gives you an elevator pitch as to why you should care. Now, you might also be thinking like, Kim, I've heard of osteoporosis. Like, I know my bones should be healthy. And you know what? I exercise. I eat fairly healthy. I bet I've got it covered. My bases are covered. I want you to know that as I've been studying osteoporosis, I found gaps, important gaps that I needed to cover so that I could be optimally preventing osteoporosis. And so I'm going to tell you, I bet there are some gaps that you need to cover as well. And we're going to go over those today. My guest is Dr. Nesha Yuxel. She is a pharmacist who specializes in bone health. She's a North American Menopause Society certified menopause practitioner. She practices at both the multidisciplinary bone health clinic at the University of Alberta Hospital and the menopause clinic at Lois Hole Hospital for women. She is also a member of the executive committee of the Scientific Advisory Council of Osteoporosis Canada. Give us five minutes to see why you should care. And then I know you're going to want to listen to the rest of the episode. We're going to explain more in depth about what osteoporosis actually is. How do you assess your risks of osteoporosis? And then we hit hard prevention, including things like nutrition, exercise, and lifestyle modifications that you can make. Let's go. I have wanted to do an episode on osteoporosis for quite some time now. I was looking for someone with the expertise to really speak with authority and to do such an important topic justice. And uh, my friend Amanda Thebe introduced me recently to Dr. Nesha Yuxel, who is a North American Menopause Society certified menopause practitioner. She practices at both the multidisciplinary bone health clinic at the University of Alberta Hospital and the menopause clinic at Lois Hole Hospital for Women, while also being a full professor of pharmacy and pharmaceutical sciences at the University of Alberta. And she's also a member of the executive committee of the Scientific Advisory Council of the Osteoporosis Canada. So Dr. Yuxel, with all that going on and more, I really thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to speak with me today. Oh, thank you so much, Kim. It's just so nice and what a pleasure to be here today. Um, well, thank you. You're welcome. I'm thrilled to have you. Uh, before we dive into osteoporosis, tell us a little bit about Nesha the person. Um, so yeah, I'm, uh, I'm a professor here at the Faculty of Pharmacy, which you had uh, already mentioned, but me as a person, well, um, I guess I, ha- I have a daughter who's uh, 16, and she is a competitive mogul skier, so that's a little bit different. Yeah. Um, so we're at the mountains a lot, especially Jasper, which isn't uh, about three or four hours from Edmonton, where I currently live. Um, so I'm here, and I've got uh, two Bernese mountain dogs, so big dogs here. Big and dogs, yeah. Yeah, yeah they're here now. 
now. So hopefully they don't bark too much. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so now, do you ski and- as well? Do you ski? With I your do daughter? ski. I oh, oh no, I cannot keep up with her. No, no, no. <laughs> she does like moguls, and I'm just a regular skier. So, um, yeah, no. But we'll see each other passing, right? Got it. <laughs> <laughs> Getting on the chairlift, and then we leave each other completely. Got it. So yeah, yeah. So well, that's we do like fun. To run, and I'm actually off to uh, Vancouver this weekend for the uh, there's a marathon in Vancouver, but I'm not running it this time. But oh, I'm okay. Support some. But friends. you have in the past. I have. Yeah, I've done marathons before. Fantastic. So really fun. I wish I could have done it today, but I've just a little injured. <laughs> got it. Are you going to support somebody else who's running in it? Uh, yeah, I've got a uh, group of friends. And so a number of them are doing different things. Some are doing the half, some are doing the full. There's also an 8K. So some are doing that. So okay. I'm just there, the cheerleader. Oh, well, that's fun. That's yeah. fun too. <laughs> yeah. So, Nesha, my audience is largely female. A great deal of them are 40 and over. Give them to start this episode off, give them an elevator pitch on why they should even care about the subject of osteoporosis. Well, where do I even start with that? Um, <laughs> we all should be caring about our bone health. And uh, especially you mentioned that a lot of your audience is in their 40s and it's a perfect time. I, actually, we should be thinking about it earlier in our years too, but especially in our 40s, because um, you know, as the estrogens start to decline and during perimenopause, you know, hits in, in the 40s, um, we start losing a bit of our bone density. And then once we hit menopause, um, we lose bone density every year. So that's the greatest amount of loss uh, for the first 10 years after menopause. And, and women can lose up to two to 3% of their bone density each year uh, for those 10 years. And so it's really be important to think about your, your bone health uh, before even getting to menopause, because you want to be able to maintain that 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 good bone health and things like and we can get into it a little bit more about like exercise and some of those other lifestyle factors that are so important in maintaining that uh, that bone health and we want to be able to prevent fractures that's our main thing right and and once fractures happen uh there's a lot of impact with that and i've heard fractures being compared to you know when we talk about a heart attack I've heard it called a bone attack because there's lots of things oh. that have happened from that. I thought it was brilliant. I heard a speaker. Yeah, that makes it feel a little more it. like, like I should yeah, pay attention to that. Totally, because there's so much impact once you have a fracture. And what we want to do is prevent that first fracture from happening. And so if we can do that, um, that's great. Because once you have a fracture, you have a high likelihood of having another fracture afterwards. In fact, up to um, 20% uh, or of women, or sorry, it's once you have like a, a spine fracture, you, you have a 20% likelihood of having another fracture in, mm-hmm. you know, in the next number of years. So it's really important to be thinking about that. Uh, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I've heard some, you know, startling statistics about fractures. This is the one that just really perked my ears up that I read that a woman over 50 has a risk of death due to hip fracture during her remaining lifetime, equivalent to her risk of death from breast cancer. And I was just like, whoa. Yeah. Um, and because fractures are, uh, I, I guess one of the things we need to be thinking about is how common they are too. And they are more common than heart attacks, stroke, and breast cancer combined. And, you know, and a really good comment about uh, mortality with um, fractures. It's been reported that, um, you know, once a woman has a hip fracture, the mortality rates, 24% of women will die within a year after hip fracture. And it's a lot of times it's complications of that hip fracture. What's also interesting is, um, 
it's actually higher in men for mortality, which is very, oh, that is interesting. It's, about, it's up to 34 some percent um, of that. So, um, but what's also interesting is that it's not just hip fractures if there's mortality associated, even in spine fractures, which can be even more common, um, it's up to five years in the same percentage, wow. but it's up to five years of that. So we need to be thinking about that because there is, you know, mortality associated with a fracture. And there's a lot of other impacts of fractures too, which I could talk a bit about uh, as well that we need to be thinking about. Yeah, I think sometimes, and I was thinking like, why do we not seem to like have the same emphasis on osteoporosis? process as on other diseases. And I just heard you say the word fracture and me say the word fracture. And you think about fracture, like, oh, like I fractured my pinky. I fractured, you're like, what, what our kid, like fell off the sliding board. It's maybe yeah. something we're just kind of used to, right? Like, oh, it well, just happens. And then you, you get better and you move yeah, on. Exactly. Cause you just think, oh, it heals. It, it heals. should heal. Like for the most part, that's what we think, right? Yeah. But there's so much impact of that. And a really good comment is that, you know, we sometimes just think that having a fracture or osteoporosis is just because we're aging. And we shouldn't be thinking that. It's not just because we're aging. It's because we have a disease if you have osteoporosis and you have low bone density, as well as that um, the, the structure of your bones is, is more frail. And so it's easier to break. So we shouldn't just have that misconception of that we're, just because we're old, right? Right, like this is um, supposed to happen because I'm getting older, so this totally, will happen now. Exactly, and people don't often think of the impact of the fracture. Yeah, the fracture itself might heal, but you may be left with immobility issues, or you may be left with a lot of pain in that area, or you know there might be other impacts. You mm -hmm. know where now maybe you have to walk with a cane because you can't get around as easily, mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. especially with hip fractures. You know, a certain percentage of individuals end up living in, you know, a long-term care facility after that or other assisted facility because they can't look after themselves with it. So there's many impacts of a fracture that we just don't often think about. Yeah. Well, now that we've convinced people, I know people are listening now and they're like, oh, wait, I should definitely be paying attention now. Yeah. Let's kind of take a step back. Talk us through one, what exactly is osteoporosis? Let's just start there and then I'll ask my follow-up question. Okay. Okay. Um, so osteoporosis is when your bones become, you know, um, less dense, it becomes more frail. So think of it as um, really frail and weak. So it's, it's kind of a component of both the quantity of the bone, which is that density, but also the structure of the bone we need to be thinking because that structure of bone produces a lot of strength in the bone. So if, if that gets affected and it becomes more porous, then that bone is going to be very weak and can break very easily. So if you just fall from standing height and you break your hip or you break your wrist, then you probably have osteoporosis because normally you shouldn't break that, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's mm -hmm. so poor, uh, so porous and frail. So that that's what osteoporosis is. Um, it, it is on it, the, the weakness of the bones and you know how dense they are. It's just it, and there, what can happen with it is that you see um, a loss of bone density. Um, so it could be the fact of it increases in loss, like somehow it's, you know, we have um, bone cells called osteoclasts that uh, affect, you know, cause bone resorption, it's called, and they can go, you know, kind of in overdrive a little bit in sometimes, and that can happen in menopause where they're kind of active. And so you lose more bone density 
and uh, there's more bone resorption and bone density. Or the other thing is that the bones can't be formed as easily. And so there's another bone uh, cell called osteoblast, and they may not be forming bone as well. So that balance is affected. Got it. Got it. So let's start back a little ways in the kind of more in the beginning. Talk us through bone development across the lifespan. Like what does that typically look like in a healthy person, in a healthy person, (laughs) in a healthy person? Yes. Um, So, so for bone development, so we start building our bones and um, throughout, you know, so especially we start building in our, um, you know, childhood, adolescence, and we have our big, like our our bone bank, we want to call it, or our peak bone density at sort of the ages of 20 to 30. It varies depending if you're male or female, but it's around that time frame. So we're building bone up to that time. And, and it's really important. It's actually, we really need to be thinking of that time as well for things like exercise, uh, calcium and vitamin D, you know, maintaining good nutrition, even at that point, because mm-hmm. if we can get to a higher bone bag at that point, then then when we start losing bone density, and in women, you start losing bone density, probably mid 30s, and you start slowly and then perimenopause, you start losing a little bit more. And then when you hit menopause, as I mentioned already, you start losing quite a bit in that first 10 years. So that's sort of that cycle. Uh, After about 10 years, uh, after the menopause, you still continue to lose bone density, but it's a little bit more gradual. It's actually Mm -hmm. how it's as gradual as how men lose bone density. It's very similar, and it's probably more due to aging uh, itself. Um, So it speeds up around menopause. Totally speeds up around menopause. And then it slows back down. Yeah. And estrogens are so important on the bones. We have estrogen receptors on um, on our bone cells, and it's really important. So when you don't have enough estrogens, guess what happens? That bone is broken down a lot faster. And Mm -hmm. our bone, we can't form bone as well as fast because it's just going crazy, right? And so it just makes it a little bit more weak. Now, most of us can handle that for that period of time. Mm -hmm. It's more if you have other risk factors, that's more the concern. Or if you go into menopause early, so Mm. that is like less than age 45, um, you know, then you have a greater risk of losing bone density, uh, you know, uh, earlier. Right. So, um, yeah, and we can talk about some of those risk factors. Yeah, well. I definitely want to get there. One more question before we get to the risk factors. So this, so when we're in our twenties, our late twenties, heading into 30, we reach this peak bone mass. Does that mean we can no longer remodel bone? We can still remodel bone after that. It's we just that are the rate- always remodeling bone. Our bones are always going through what we call bone resorption, which is breaking down bone. And they're going through bone formation, which is Um, building up bone. So we are remodeling uh, all the time. In fact, our entire skeleton gets remodeled every 10 years. So over the 10 years, right, uh, it is totally remodeled. But that whole cycle is about three months for a bone remodeling cycle. Okay. Um, So just think of it that way. So if, for example, certain medications um, are started, like, uh, for example, um, corticosteroids, which are steroids, like prednisone, we see a higher uh, bone re, um, resorption and facts, effects on that. So it can, you can, it can speed it up where the bone for, can't form as easily, right? Yeah. But I read that recently are- in my studies, and I was not happy because I was on serious doses of, of that. Yeah, a good like four months last year, oh, I had long yes. COVID and, okay. and pneumonia. And I that 
that definitely hit home for me. I was like, oh yeah, I've definitely one of those people. So that is a risk factor. Exactly. It is a risk factor. And, you know, in our clinic, uh, the Osprey's clinic, we see a lot of individuals who are on prednisone Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, luckily there's things we can do to prevent bone loss and while on it, but. Okay. So uh, that's two risk factors you talked about. If you've been on mm -hmm. corticosteroids if you're on them for a long time, more yeah, than three so months? usually what we say three months and depending on the dose that you're on. So, yeah. and it's a cumulative dose over that three months. Um, so, so depending normally, um, like I am from Canada. So normally we say if you're on 70.7.5 milligrams of prednisone, mm-hmm. oral prednisone or equivalent to that, um, over three months, a cumulative dose of three months, then you're at risk. But you could also be at risk at lower doses, depending on if you have some of these other risk factors. Got it. So we mm-hmm. talked about that. You mentioned menopause. That Menopause, you know. but but especially early menopause would be. Early and menopause. Early menopause is defined as less than 45 years of age. And if you ever hear the word premature menopause, that's before the age of 40. Um, but early menopause is considered so less than 45 years of age is considered a risk factor. Absolutely. Especially if someone doesn't start hormone therapy or on their preventative uh, measures during that time for, for the bones. Because hormone therapy, menopause, hormone therapy can prevent the, the bone loss during that time. Yeah. Do especially if pers- someone- get prescribed menopause hormone therapy for osteoporosis prevention. They can absolutely. Um, And especially for those young, you know, if they're early Mm. menopause, because um, it's, it's important for the bones a lot of times with early menopause, let's say they have a surgical menopause where the ovaries get removed. Um, Then, then, you know, they, they might have a lot of symptoms during that time as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And so um, they need it for, for symptom relief, but also you know, the, the bone health, but also the heart health is also important during that time. So we think of it for a number of reasons. And they're also finding out more about cognition um, and, and brain health too, especially if you uh, go into menopause early as well. So there's a lot of benefits, but especially the bones. Yeah, you can use it for that time, um, especially for early, early menopause. Now, would we use it, um, you know, somebody who is just menopausal or postmenopause? It depends on if we think we need to treat, you know, uh, prevent uh, further bone loss. We wouldn't use it just for that. It'd be more in someone who is also symptomatic. Right. So they have like hot flushes and night sweats and things so like that. So kind of like an added benefit for those of added, us who are on menopause. Yeah, exactly. So we wouldn't just use it for, uh, for the bones at this point. Um, you know, especially if we think somebody is at high risk of fracturing, we may use a different medication, one of the osteoporosis medications. Um, however, if they have hot flushes and night sweats and all those kinds of things that could help, then the hormone therapy is going to help in that too. Got it. So what are some of the other risk factors? Uh, so other risk factors um, include if they've already had a fracture. So that would be a, fr- a risk factor. A f- risk factor, and what we look for is um, the fragility fracture. So um, a fragility fracture is defined as a fracture that occurs uh, from standing height or less. So if you, you know. Um, fall, like let's say even on some ice or something like that, and you reach out to protect yourself and you break your wrist, it's probably osteoporosis Mm -hmm. that is causing that. So it's good to get a bone density, uh, determine, you know, um, what your uh, risk is going to be, you know, some of those things. And um, so So that's an important thing for people to be aware of that it's not normal to, from standing height, break your wrist when you fall. You shouldn't 
break your wrist. You, you, sh- you shouldn't break your wrist, right? Yeah. If you have your bones are, are good and healthy with that. Yeah. So definitely get it looked at because it is so missed. Um, only 20% of individuals who've had like even a risk factor actually get assessed and diagnosed. Mm. And, and another 20% may even be ever started on treatment if, if they have osteoporosis. So osteoporosis is completely underdiagnosed. Those are low numbers, very low. And and there's a lot of people walking around who have not been assessed Mm. if they've had a fragility fracture. And we see that even in a clinic I work in because, you know, we'll see them now they've had a hip fracture, but maybe they had that risk factor, you know, 20 years ago and never assessed or diagnosed with that. So anyone, especially if you're over the age of 40, they say definitely get it assessed, um, you know, with that, just to make sure that uh, it isn't from osteoporosis. My mom fell recently. Uh, I was with her in, I went to visit her for Easter and we were at a botanical gardens and she just stepped off this weird crooked step in this, this stone garden. And she like went down and I was far enough oh. away. Like I was a couple, st- I was just far enough away that it, I couldn't help her, yeah. but I had been researching osteoporosis. Uh, oh. And so I was watching the whole, I was really curious. <laughs> And when she was, she okay. was totally fine, nothing, she did oh, like nothing. Good. She was fine. Oh, <laughs> and I was like, Whoa, cause she's in her seventies. Yeah. Right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I was exactly. Like, All right. I don't think you have osteoporosis. <laughs> I was like, oh, that was, it, was a pretty, it was a pretty yeah. substantial tumble. Yeah, cause usually if they did have osteoporosis, they probably might break something, right? Yeah. And it could be, you know, it could be a wrist. Uh, as you get older, it could be the hip. Um, other common spots are the spine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll, I'll come back to some of the other risk factors. So yeah. aging is a risk factor. So you mentioned about, you know, uh, your mom was 70. So aging itself is a risk factor. Um, females have a higher risk, but males can also get um, osteoporosis as well. Um, so I mentioned about any kind of fracture, especially if you've had it after the age of 40, a fragility fracture, uh, family history, big, uh, could be a big risk, especially if you have a family history of a hip fracture. So if okay. your mom and dad or mom or dad had a hip fracture, you have a much higher you know, chance as well, potentially, because genetics plays a huge part in with osteoporosis. Um, other things to think about are medical conditions. So there are a number of medical conditions that increase that risk. So things like inflammatory conditions like rheumatoid arthritis can be a risk. Um, inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, not only because of the inflammation, but a lot of times for these um, uh, diseases, we also use prednisone, right? We were talking mm-hmm. about steroids and we use mm-hmm. them to help with the disease. Um, celiac disease, that's another one that patients are at risk and people don't even know it. So a lot of times yeah. when people come to our clinic, we'll check for celiac disease just to make sure that, um, you know, they're not celiac. And then, you know, if they are, then they can, uh, you know, do with their diet and, and, and prevent, uh, you know, uh, the inflammation from the celiac mm-hmm. disease with their mm-hmm. gluten-free diet. Um, so there's a number of diseases. I can't, I mean, even diabetes is a, so, uh, a risk. So there's a number of um, different ones. And then obviously medications. And so some medications are greater risk, like prednisone, for example, or, you know, the steroid medications. Um, we also uh, see a lot of um, individuals who've, uh, women who've had breast cancer are, and then are, they're on aromatase inhibitors, one of the medications to help with the, the breast cancer and treat the breast cancer. Um, 
And then we see prostate cancer as well. So some um, men are on um, medications that decrease testosterone levels. And so these are also at risk. Um, so if you're on either of these types of classes, uh, you could be at risk. And uh, luckily we do, um, we do have treatments to help prevent further bone loss. Um, another thing to think about is uh, fall risk. So the history of falls, and if you're falling a lot, you're going to have a greater likelihood of actually having a fracture as well. So these are all some of the, the risk factors. And then there's some lifestyle things, smokers. Oh, okay. So if you smoke, you, you know, greater risk, excessive alcohol intake. Um, so if you're drinking every day, a few glasses, you know, of, you know, whatever alcohol a day, every day ongoing, that's going to be a greater risk. Um, and then it, you know, not getting enough calcium and vitamin D is also a risk. And then exercise too, which will. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's quite a few risk factors. Yeah. Yeah. Do, is it suggested for both if you have these risk factors or even if you don't and are just, well, I guess you would have it then if you're aging, that is one of the risk factors. Is it suggested that, that you do some kind of screening? Is there screening for osteoporosis? So there is, um, there is screening and, you know, if you have a number of the risk factors um, that I mentioned, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about who should get a bone mineral density as well. But if you have a number of these risk factors, I mean, you should talk to your primary care physician to see if, you know, you should go and get a bone density, for example. Um, and so in Canada, and I, I'm not sure exactly like in the States or if it's different depending on each state, but mm -hmm. we have certain criteria of who should get a bone mineral density in Canada. And it, a lot of it's based on, you know, risk factors. Mm -hmm. And so anyone over the age of 65 years, we recommend they should get a bone density because aging itself is a risk factor. Right. Um, if you're between the ages of 50 to 64, or if you're a woman that's already menopausal, um, then it's based on certain other risk factors. So have you had a fracture, fragility fracture? Um, are you on the steroids? Are you on any of these um, uh, other medications that I mentioned that might increase risk? Um, do you have medical conditions like rheumatoid arthritis? Um, are you a smoker? Do you have family history? So some of these things we would be looking at and, mm -hmm. and, you know, and then if you have one of these risk factors, then you should get a bone density um, with that. So, so that's kind of how we would um, do that. And then and once we have a bone density, we don't just look at the bone density to identify what someone's risk is and if they should be on treatment or not. Well, that is just one part of it. The bone density only measures really bone uh, quantity, like the, how dense that bone is. What we also need to look at is the quality of that bone. Mm. And the way we do that is looking at risk factors. And so when someone sees us in the clinic, for example, the osteoporosis clinic, we ask all those questions about all those risk factors. And we also calculate out something called the risk. It's like a risk assessment and is the risk of fracturing in the next 10 years. Mm. And it's called FRACS. And so, um, so we calculate out the fracs. It's just putting in all the, you know, all these numbers and putting in all your risk factors and things like that and putting your bone density in there. And it gives us an idea of what your risk of fracturing is in the next, you know, 10 years. So if you have a risk of fracturing of more than 20% of a major osteoporotic uh, fracture, then that means you're at high risk and mm -hmm. really you should be on treatment 
possibly for that, like medications and stuff. So, so I did that assessment on myself from the oh, Osteoporosis Canada oh, website. Good. There's a little yeah. path. You guys could go there. It's the yeah. FRAX, the FRAX, FRAX yeah. fracture, yeah. fracture yeah. risk assessment. And it was yeah. just a little computerized and it That's was like right. height and weight and risk factors. Like, do you yes. smoke and the steroids yes. and all of those things? And I don't know what else I was missing. And then it gives you the number and you can compare it to, and I was happy to see I was well uh, within the the reasonable threshold. Um, But I was, I thought it was great that we could just kind of take a peek at that ourselves, you know, to see like, oh, should I be chatting with somebody about this? That's right. And and that's a really good um, resource is the FRAX. Now, what I would do if I, I would, I would Google the FRAX and it will come up. You have to go to the actual site because if you're in a different country, you want to put, you want to go to the country that is the database. And so, um, so in Canada, we go to our database. And if you're mm-hmm. US, you would go to the US database and you pull it out and you can totally figure that out. The nice thing about the FRAX, just like you did, you don't always necessarily need to have a bone density measurement. You can do it without, and it will give you an, a kind of a, an assessment of what your risk is. Now, mm-hmm. once you have the bone density, then it's really good to put that in there as well. And it'll tell you which bone density measurement you've got to put in there. Yeah. And, and, and that, then it gives you a little bit more, you know, assessment, a better assessment of what your actual risk is. But those risk factors are great to kind of give you an idea. So we'll give you a major osteoporotic risk factor uh, or risk of, you know, fracturing. And then it will give you um, your risk of fracturing from a hip fracture as well. So the percent of that as well. Yeah. So that's a great thing to do to just kind of get some information for yourself um, to see if you need to, to talk to a doctor further about the interesting thing to me about osteoporosis is terrible as all of the sounds, right? Like this is big, serious stuff. There's so much we can do to prevent it. Yes. yes. Which again, it, to me, just really like, it just resonates in my brain. Like, why do we not talk about it more? Because if it's so preventable, there's yes. so many things people can do. We just need to be talking about this more so that they do it, right? Absolutely. I think prevention is so key. So we can all be doing something to keep our bones healthy so we don't get a bone attack, right? A bone um, attack. I love that. You know, like, <laughs> like really, um, you know, we can do so much to, to do that. You know, we need to be thinking about it in our children as well, in our adult, like, you know, as they're building bone, we need to be focusing a bit more on what we're, you know, to make sure that, you know, especially in adolescence, as we're building that bone density, thinking about, okay, making sure, you know, um, they, they, they get the, um, the, the exercise, especially weight bearing exercise, like walking and being active, right. Um, that they have adequate calcium, vitamin D, um, that, you know, uh, just a number of factors when you're building the bone to make sure that you you're looking at that adolescents don't smoke, you know, like, like those kinds of things, especially if teenagers start smoking, it's like, it's not good for your bones with that. So Mm -hmm. there's a number of things to be thinking about. And then throughout our lives, we should be thinking about, you know, how do we keep that healthy? So, you know, trying to reduce the smoking and trying to quit if you can, limiting our alcohol intake to, I mean, you can still drink. It's just like making sure that you're not drinking excessive amounts per, per day. So at, at our clinic, we look for, um, you know, more than two a day. That's when we're starting to be concerned, you know, with that, with alcohol, um, keeping caffeine. And I hadn't talked about caffeine, um, 
yet because what caffeine can do is can it you know it's a diuretic right so we can actually uh increase uh, calcium excretion in, through the urine right so you may um see bone loss but it's higher amounts so what we try to recommend is less than four cups of coffee um, or tea per day. And that's about less than 400 milligrams of caffeine, if you're looking okay. at how much that is. Um, and uh, other things is just exercise and making sure you have a good exercise program with, um, you know, weight-bearing exercise. But a lot of people think weight-bearing is just, you know, make sure you're doing weight training. It Weight-bearing uh -huh. is just even walking and, you know, um, those kinds of activities. It's weight-bearing on the bones. And then strength training and, um, you know, even for balance and that core, right, so that you mm -hmm. don't fall. These are all really important uh, overall for when it comes to about. the When it comes to the weight-bearing, as I've been studying about this, what I found really interesting. Um, they said, sure, like walking fine, but even better are things that have more impact, like jogging and yes. jumping, like yes. these, tests, like these, good these studies that they've yes. done. Yeah. Um, gosh, they were doing one with women who, um, were jumping like 20 times in a row, several times yeah. a day. And this yeah. was really helping particularly as far as preventing or, you know, with our hip bones. Right. And so yes having yes. these higher impact things. This is yep. probably going to make an impact on things. I don't include these things in clients programs typically, and it's going to be something I'm going to figure out a way to do more of, yep. you know, whether yep. that's jumping rope or even yep. you know, jogging, you know, we think about jogging, like, okay, heart health, right? Not yep. like bone health, but that's an important piece of it. Um, the jogging, the hiking, the you know, steps, anything with more impact and, and certainly not things like swimming or cycling, because there's no impact on our bones there. Yeah. yeah things but, like gravity. That's right. Exactly. Right? And that walking <laughs> is kind of part of it, but that even yeah. more getting some of this higher impact is useful. Yes. Very good comment. And they talk about low impact and high impact uh, exercise um, programs and maybe having a combination of both. Right. Is good. Um, I know the bone health and Osteoporosis Foundation in the US has some great information on exercise and they, they actually break down the low um, impact and high impact mm -hmm. um, exercises. So it's a really good place to look at for, for more information. Um, if you're in Canada, Osteoporosis Canada has some great information. They have um, a wonderful program, um, some great um, uh, patient information material on two fit to fracture um, programs. So they talk about all the different types of exercises that are important and it's it's actually having a component of all that you're thinking through right you know um, ensuring that you have weight bearing could be some low impact and high impact having some strength training having some posture and balance things mm -hmm. um, building on that core um, so you know thinking about a number of uh, aspects really really important another good thing to think about and one thing we do we in our clinic we actually have uh, a physiotherapist and an occupational therapist in our clinic, which are wonderful to talk about different programs to think about. And especially if you've already had a fracture, mm -hmm. or if you've had a spine fracture, and there's spine sparing techniques that you can think about so that you don't put pressure on your spine. And, um, and I know Osprey Canada has some great information of what how, you know, how to pick up something, right? What are those yeah. things that you need to be, or when you're standing, like, what are those things you need to be thinking about? Cause we forget, you know, we just like, Oh, here, I'm just going to pick this up. Right. I'm just going to twist know, to the side and bend exactly, over. Whereas exactly. your spine would be more like, I'm going to yeah. turn my whole body. That, that's exactly right. And bend at the knees down to get it. Totally. So those are important things as well. Very. Yeah. 
And then definitely, like you said, the strength training, this is a huge one, minimum two days a week. And people who are listening, they might be like, wait, strength training, like that's for my muscles. You have to remember that your muscles pull on your bones, right? And that's a huge part of having strong, healthy bones. And so the strength training in balance, you know, especially I think if people even get older, I would do dedicated balance. But right now in your strength training program, you can do balance by doing single leg exercises, like, you know, single leg Romanian deadlifts. Those really challenge your balance. (laughs) Um, Any kind of single leg exercise will certainly help with that. So we work on our balance. We work on the strength training. We get the the low impact. We get the high impact. And this might sound like a lot of stuff to think about. We haven't even gotten to the nutrition part, which we'll get to in a minute. But when you think about like the cost benefit, like think about the fact that this is not just going to help with osteoporosis. It's going to help with all of the other things, um, all of the uh, prevention of all these other diseases. And then think about like, what will your life be like if you fracture your hip? Like taking the time to make time right now for strength training and um, the other things I've just mentioned, it's such an investment in your future health so that you're not the frail old lady. Like you don't, you have to be old. Hopefully you'll get to be old, but you don't have to be frail. No, you don't have to be frail. You don't have to, you know, and, and it's not just like when you think of even things like um, the hip fracture. And I said the impact of the hip fracture, but like spine fractures can also cause a lot of impact. Mm. And one thing I didn't talk about as much is height loss and, you know, um, what is significant height loss. So it could really affect someone's self-esteem if they've had a major height loss. Like we've mm-hmm. had people who've lost four or five inches of their height. Like, and you can yeah. imagine, right. That's, that's big. If you were like at once five, six, and now you're five, one or five feet, like it's a huge impact. And so, yeah. so we do measure height changes as well. Um, and just to let you know that what is considered significant um, is if you have more than t- about 2.5 inches of height loss since like, let's say, you know, you're in your 40s and 50s or 60s, um, compared to when you were in your 20s, when you had your peak bone density. So if it's more than 2.5 inches or more, and then every year we measure. So when we have uh, individuals coming back to our clinic, we always measure their height because it's almost an inch. If you have more than almost an inch loss each year, then that's also considered significant. Mm. But I just thought I'd mention, because it's it's important. People don't often think that because only a third of fractures in the spine are clinically, what we call clinically significant, meaning they cause pain. Mm-hmm. Two thirds, we don't even know we have a fracture in our spine. And so paying attention to that amount of height loss is really important. important. Yeah. And that's one of the questions we ask, like what, how, what was your height when you were in your twenties? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's turn our attention to nutrition and prevention. There's some heavy hitters for sure. Give us some of the main things we should be focusing on. Uh, So for nutrition, I mean, we always think about calcium and uh, vitamin D, really, really important still um, for preventing bone loss, um, you know, especially vitamin D for preventing fractures, uh, really important to maintain a good calcium and vitamin D. So what what do we recommend? Um, In Canada, we recommend that anyone who is over the age of 50 is 1200 milligrams of elemental calcium. And I know in the US, uh, I believe the recommendation, especially for women, if they're 
over 1200 milligrams, it's, um, sorry, if they're over 50, it's 1200 milligrams uh -huh. of, of cal elemental calcium. And what we try to do with um, the calcium is we want to maximize how much we get in the diet. So we work with um, individuals to make sure that they get enough in their diet. And then we add in calcium supplements to get to the 1200 milligrams. Mm -hmm. um, and we have to look for elemental calcium, not you. So you have to look at the fine print on your bottle for calcium. And it's, you got to look for, for the, the supplement, you mean. for the supplement. Exactly. Um, and so we try to do that as much. So if you do drink milk, you're not, you know, sensitive to dairy or anything like that. You know, we try to work to see if you can get most of that with your diet. Um, and then a lot of people may not need extra supplements, while as others might. If you're mm -hmm. lactose intolerant, you can't handle it, like then you may need a supplement with that. Um, I was very surprised, Nesha. I did um, a little um, survey. Of, I took a, just an average day that I eat, right? And then figured out how much calcium did it have. Yeah. I don't know where I saw it. Maybe it was on osteoporosis Canada. Somewhere there was a calcium calculator. So you could figure out how much ca calcium was on there. And I love dairy. I don't drink a ton of milk. Uh, I used to, when I used to overeat cereal, but I don't do that. But I do a lot of yogurt, cottage cheese, cheese, these kinds of things. And I eat a lot of vegetables. And so I thought I was like, I'm going to totally get to 1200 milligrams on this average day. I did not. Okay. I was at 626 <laughs> yeah. and I was really stunned. But yeah. then I read somewhere, is this correct that when you're calculating your calcium, that you should start by giving yourself 300 milligrams? Absolutely. That's yes. true. Okay. So this is how I do it. Like, and it's a really good, calcium calculators are wonderful. So cal, uh, um, Osprey Canada has a good cal, uh, calcium calculator. So does the International Osteoporosis Foundation or IF. So both have great calculators. So you can go there initially to kind of calculate out how much you have. But what we do is for quick, you know, just to kind of determine it quickly is I usually ask, um, you know, how, do you drink milk? Do you eat yogurt? And so I base it a lot on the dairy initially, just, you know, because that's mm -hmm. the highest amount. So one cup of milk, for example, is 300 milligrams of calcium. One yogurt is close enough to 300 milligrams as well. So I calculate out quickly with that, some cheese, you know, and see yeah. whatever. I always add in 250 to 300 on top of that. So let's say you did one yogurt. And that's just and because one, there's trace amounts of calcium in so many things. In your diet. So there's, you know, calcium in your broccoli. There's calcium in certain vegetables. There's calcium in certain you know, nuts, like there's calcium in different places and mm -hmm. they're hard to calculate out, but most of us get another 250 or 300. And, and so then what I do is I add it up. So if you have one milk and one yogurt a day, for example, that's 600. And then I say, okay, here's another 300. Then you're 900 milligrams. Can you add another milk in there? No, if you can't, then can we add in a supplement, right? So this is how we would work that out. And is a multivitamin, a, if, if you're getting like, so I'm getting, if with that extra 300, I'm like, I'm pretty close. I'm over 900. So yeah. would taking a multivitamin be enough then to it can the be. person over? You just have to look, a lot of the multivitamins do have a little bit of calcium in there. And, but they're usually around 200 to 250 milligrams, if that. So you just mm -hmm. have to look at your, your multivitamin to see, I don't even know if it's 250, they might be around 200, but you just have to really look at your multivitamin to see how much calcium and, mm -hmm. and they have to indicate it by the elemental calcium with it. Now, a lot of them have vitamin D and I haven't talked about vitamin D yet. Yeah, a lot of the multivitamins that. will have 400 international units of vitamin D. Um, so the recommendation for vitamin D um, is if you are, you know, 50 over or have osteoporosis in Canada, we recommend anywhere from 800 
to 2,000 international units of vitamin D. I know in the States, I think it's anywhere from 800 to 1,000. Mm -hmm. So if you take 1,000, you are good. Um, and a lot of people need supplements for the vitamin D. It's hard to get enough in our diets, really very difficult. In Canada, we often need it because we just don't get the, the sunshine in the same way right. we're inside most of the time. And the also the sun rays. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so for a lot of us in Canada, we also need it because we're not getting, you know, and, the, and even the sun rays are not the right, like they're not adequate angle during the, during the winter months to really change it in our skin. Mm -hmm. um, if you live in, you know, places that, you know, like have nice weather most of the time. And if you're in Florida, for example, you probably are going to get enough uh, through the sun. Uh, unless Even if we're using of, sunblock? Uh, unless you're using sunblock. That's what yeah, I was just going to say. so imagine. many of us are like, I am exactly. like rigorous Don't with even, my sunblock. That's exactly. So if you're using sunblock, yeah, you're not. So you, most of us are going to need supplementation, right? And uh, so I just like, if you take a thousand, that's great. Now you may get a little bit more like, you know, with your multivitamin, there might be 400 in there. Not to worry. It's just a little bit more, right? Okay. Um, but often if you can just do a thousand international units, you're good. So. And anything specific we're looking for, if I want to get a vitamin D supplement, because you said with the calcium, you need to make sure it says elementals or anything with vitamin D that we're looking for besides the amount. Um, for vitamin D, most of the ones um, that, that, that we have, um, so, so there is different vitamin Ds. Um, so when we're thinking of vitamin D, we're thinking of vitamin D3, um, which is, it's also called, um, the vitamin D3 is called colocalciferol cholecalciferol, but it's vitamin D3, and it's um, more of an animal source. Um, so often we want that it's a little bit more potent um, than the vitamin D2, which is more of a plant-based. Um, a lot of our vitamin Ds, though, are the vitamin D3. Majority are, are, are vitamin D3. So, so that's what usually we recommend with that. Um, you know, all of them are pretty good supplements. I'm not going to say, you know, one isn't better than another at this point mm -hmm. uh, when you're looking at the different ones. And there's different types, you know, with vitamin D3, as you probably know. Um, you know, there's, there's capsules, tablets, there's drops, there's lots of different ways of, of, of taking vitamin D. But definitely paying attention to the, um, the units, the international units. I decided I am going to start a vitamin D supplement. Actually, I'm going to grab the one I, I bought. I was, I didn't know what I was buying. It was before I had really looked at them. I bought one with 10,000 international units. Okay. Okay. And that's so you way can, too much. Like that, that's too much for every day, but you can take that weekly. Oh, you could just take you one can weekly. Do one weekly, yeah, yeah. If you had oh. a ten thousand, so you could just do one one weekly as well, if you if you wanted. Now, oh, definitely, definitely don't do that every day. Right. Um. You know, we don't know exactly what that upper limit for vitamin D is, but definitely anything over like ten thousand every day would be too much. Even right. between four thousand to ten thousand. You know, I know some people take a little bit more some for some reasons, but um, but usually, you know, if you're at ten thousand every day, it could actually have negative effects on your bones. So we're so looking for right around that thousand mark. Yeah, two thousand one. You know, anywhere from one thousand to two thousand. Um, there were numbers. On, there were all kinds of numbers. There was five thousand. Yeah, and this was really before yeah. I had paid attention to what yeah. I was supposed to get. I'm like, I'm gonna get one. Yeah. And I'm like, well, maximum strength. That's got to yeah. be the best, right? And now, I didn't now, open it. And I came home and looked. I'm like, all right, that's not what I need. <laughs> now there it. are certain times that we would use higher amounts, like especially if your vitamin D levels are low. We have 
measured vitamin D for, you know, if you, if you have osteoporosis and we're trying to see where, where you're at with, uh, we can do vitamin D levels. So sometimes we have bumped up the doses to kind of get the vitamin D levels uh, up to normal. So you may see it every so often with these higher, higher doses. Um, or if you're on certain medications that increase breakdown of vitamin D, so certain anti-seizure medications break down. So you can see higher amounts in that situation. Like we can see up to 4,000 international units for vitamin D for that. Okay. So, okay. So a person, so they're like, all right, everyone's going to get out there. They're going to get their vitamin D supplement. They're going to see how much calcium they're getting in their diet and see where they can increase it. If they can't increase it enough, they're going to get themselves a supplement for the vitamin D. Anything else nutritionally we should be paying attention to? Um, Other things to think about is just making sure you have adequate protein. So protein is going to be important, um, you know, uh, with that. And um, I think it's just maintaining a good balanced diet, like anything, uh, right? Like that we would recommend. So maintaining that, that, um, that, that good diet, we always talk about health Canada, you know, food guide kind of thing, right? Like maintaining that. So those are some important things. Um, I often think with diet is just making sure you don't take too much caffeine as well. Like, so okay, not yeah. over the four, four cups and coffee or more tea uh, or more per day. So, uh, so those things. Okay. Important. So those are the big rocks, get enough calcium, mm-hmm. vitamin D, limit your caffeine to that under 400 mm-hmm. milligrams per day mm-hmm. and eat enough protein. And everyone listening yep. to this, you hear me talk yep. about protein, like nonstop. Yeah. Yep. So yep. get that, get that protein in, um, for sure. All right. Anything else we need? Did we hit everything? The big highlights, as far as prevention, exercise, nutrition, we talked about not smoking, anything else we should hit about, about prevention. Um, did you, did you want some comments on more like on the calcium supplementation, like calcium, just some tips on yeah, doing calcium supplements, um, sure. to think about with that. So, um, with, with calcium supplements, there's often the question is which calcium is best. Mm-hmm. Um, so is it calcium carbonate or calcium citrate or some of the other, uh, salts, you know, really they're all good at, with calcium carbonate, just take it with food. So if you're on a carbonate that it needs, uh, you know, this uh, more of that acidic environment when with food, it kind of causes that. So it's really important to take it with food. Calcium citrate don't, doesn't matter, but both are very, very good. Sometimes carbonates are a little cheaper than the citrates. Mm. So, you know, really it, it works. The other thing is that if you're on certain medications, a lot of people on um, acid reducing medications like our PPIs, um, sometimes for reflux and things like that, if you are on something like that, then make sure you take a calcium citrate product with that. Okay. Um, Because that, tell me more about that. So the carbonate, the calcium carbonate needs a little bit of an acidic environment in the stomach to get absorbed. Oh, and so if you're taking the so acid it, reducers. Exactly. It's not getting it. absorbed as well, but the citrate is, doesn't matter with that. So for we a person often who, will switch for patients. a person who's having issues with acid and is taking permanently those acid reducers, does that have any impact on bone health or is no, if you're getting the calcium citrate? So the long-term use of the PPIs, there has been associated with, um, you know, possibly reduced um, bone density as well as uh, fractures. Mm. It has been with long-term use. So we're looking at five, seven, 10 years of use has been. Now, the evidence is not as clear as something like with the prednisone or the corticosteroids. Those we know are going to cause loss. 
But it's something to be thinking about if you are on a PPI and you have other risk factors for osteoporosis or you have osteoporosis, you may need to be thinking about that. And there's things mm -hmm. that you could think of. Do you need to be on the PPI still? If you don't need to be on the PPI, these are medications like Pantaloc and there's others out there like a Prevacid. There's a few different ones out there. If you don't need to be on the PPI, then think about coming off it. Or if you do need it, can you use it intermittently? So a period of time, then off. And then when you need it again, can you use it during that time? Mm -hmm. Now, if you do need it and there's no other you know, way to control the acidity or the reflux or things like that, and you need that to control, that's okay. You can still you know, stay on it. But it's just more if you have other risk factors for osteoporosis, you need to be thinking about that. It's important because a lot of people are on those. Oh, there's lots of people. Yeah, I'm on, on those guys. One of the, yeah, one of, there's that's a one lot. of my, lo my long lasting I, symptoms um, would, from, from it. I would say that the majority of people that we see are on something mm -hmm. like a PPI. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So calcium citrate in that case. Um, mm -hmm. I think yeah, it's important that I'm glad you cleared, you mentioned about which one you have to take with food and without, because I think a lot of people, myself included, I like to take all my supplements, pills, all those things first thing in the morning. So I don't forget. Right. So like get up, yeah. get them, get them in. And so it's good that there is an option for those of us who don't want to take it with food. Yeah. And the other thing too, is especially if you take it with your other medications, make sure none of those medications interfere with calcium. Okay. There are medications that might get affected with absorption. So you may want to talk to your pharmacist about which ones and can you do them all at the same time um, with that. Um, with, the, with the calcium supplements also, if you are taking more than five or 600 milligrams of calcium as a supplement, because you can't you know, you don't, you can't get any calcium in your diet for whatever reason. Um, they recommend to split the dosing. So okay. don't take it all at one time. So let's say you're taking two 500 milligram tablets of elemental calcium. Don't take it all at the same time, split it up. So let's say it's carbonate, calcium carbonate, take it with your breakfast and your lunch, or take it with your breakfast and your dinner, for example. So make sure you split, cause you're not getting absorption. You're, you're taking a thousand and you're not getting- And you're not getting it all. No, not it. <laughs> but you're so, paying for it. <laughs> is it possible to get too much calcium? Uh, it is. Yes. So we do not recommend over the 1200 milligrams of calcium every day, especially in supplementation. So it, it will be too much. Now, if someone's at 1500 milligrams, and just because of between their diet and supplements, I wouldn't worry. But let's say you're taking, you know, up to 1500 milligrams, and it's all supplementation. It can it can be um, a problem. There's a number of things, especially uh, too much calcium can cause kidney stones over time, but this is more like, you know, high doses with right. that. Um, the other thing that we don't know, there was a lot of controversy regarding things like heart attacks. I don't know if you remember some of the heart attack um, data with, uh, it, with more of the supplementation with high doses of calcium. Mm -hmm. And so that is more with supplements, not with the diet. And that's where we've come with making sure you get more in the diet. Because right. when you take it with diet, the absorption of calcium is more gradual into the system. When you take a supplement, you get a higher level of calcium quickly. And it's more of a concern if you're taking these high doses. Right. So supplements. get as much as you can from your diet. Is that, yeah. and that's why that's one of yeah. the main reasons why, and yeah. then supplement, but don't over supplement to like hedge your bets here. Cause that's not good either. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
Got it. Anything else we need to know about supplements with either the calcium or the vitamin D or? I think that's good. I think kind of touched on the main things. So let's turn to like, so let's talk actually about if a person is diagnosed with osteoporosis. Talk to me about that. Yeah. So if you're diagnosed with osteoporosis, um, what we would look at is that risk of fracturing. And so diagnosis of osteoporosis is made by a number of ways. One is getting your bone density. So we would be able to tell if you have osteoporosis based on your bone density. Also, if you fractured, you know, the history of fractures will also determine that. And then that fracs we talked about, determining where you're at, um, what kind of risk you're at. So if you have a high risk of fracturing, so if you have um, a major a, a risk of fracturing uh, for a major osteoporotic fracture of more than 20% um, or a hip fracture of more than 3% on there, uh, then it probably indicates that you need to be on treatment um, to prevent further bone loss, prevent uh, fractures. So you may need to be on treatment like medications to help prevent that. And are there um, a variety of medications? Is there like a standard medicine? Like if- Yeah. Yeah. So there are a number of medications and luckily we have more options than we have had in a very long time. Uh, So there's new medications coming out um, a few in the last couple few years. Uh, So that's really exciting. Uh, So the the medic types of medications we have, we have medications that prevent further bone breakdown. So those are called anti um, resorptives And then we have medications that build up bone. And those are called like anabolic agents. So they're like how the, to build bone formers kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, most of the time when we're first starting off, a lot of times uh, because of drug coverage and, you know, you got to look at a number of things in, in Canada, you know, each province has their different ways of, for, for drug coverage. And I know in the States it's different. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so depending on what is covered for, for, for your area and your, your jurisdiction, um, initially what we would look at is more one of those anti-resorptive agents. So we have a lot of different options. We have oral medications, we have injectable forms, we have like injectables that are subcutaneous, we have injectables that are intravenous. So we have different options. We also have different ways of giving these medications as far as how often. Um, the the anti-resorptives are classic ones we think about are something called bisphosphonates. So things like Fosamax and Actinel are some of the in that class. And they're given like once a week, for example. Now there is an uh, intravenous one that's given once a year. Oh, there wow. There are subcutaneous ones that are every six months. So, which is nice because then you don't have to do something yeah. every week or every day or anything like that. Um, so those are some of those, um, the preventing that bone resorption, preventing further bone um, breakdown. Mm-hmm. And then we have our bone formers. Um, so those are, you know, both are like subcutaneous. There's one that is every day. And then there's another one that's once a month. So there's different ways uh, that can be done. Luckily, we have a number of options. Um, so it's, it's really uh, nice uh, to see. We have also um, oral tablets that can be taken daily too. Um, and they work on estrogen receptors. And we even have hormone therapy, especially if you have, um, you know, other symptoms like hot flushes and night sweats, you're going to have 
it'll help prevent uh, further bone loss, right? With it. So we've got tons of options now compared to when I first started in this area, which has been probably, you know, over 20 years now, we were limited with our num numbers mm -hmm. of things that we could use. And now we've like, it's just an exciting area to be in. Oh, well, that's fantastic news. I'm hoping that everybody listening to this does not have to get to the point where you need those, but I thought it was worth, you know, chatting about like, okay, like what if it is me and I have it? So there we go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been fascinating. Anything else you feel like women should know uh, to be in, you know, empowered in their, their knowledge and their decision-making um, lifestyle wise around osteoporosis? Yeah, I think it's just, um, understanding what those risk factors are, understanding what you can do to help your bones. Uh, even if you don't have risk factors, you, you need to be thinking about it just to keep our bones healthy. You know, things like making sure you have adequate calcium and vitamin D, uh, making sure, you know, keeping the, the coffee down to less than four cups of coffee, you know, those kinds of yeah. things. A lot of those things we talked about, those, those healthy lifestyle factors are so important in keeping our bones healthy. Uh, if you have a lot of those risk factors we talked about, and or if you're over the age of 65, get your bones checked, get your bone density, don't, uh, don't leave it, <laughs> make sure you get that checked just to see where you're at. If you have had a fracture, and especially if it's a low trauma fracture, you know, you broke your wrist, get that assessed, see if that is from osteoporosis, because you can do something about it now to prevent any further fractures from happening. Also, um, Read more about like, you know, there are great uh, information sources. Uh, I would completely recommend if you're um, in the US is Bone Health and Osteoporosis Foundation has some wonderful information. Osteoporosis Canada and Canada has some great information, uh, lovely information on all of these things we've been talking about. And then there's also the International Osteoporosis Foundation, which has good information as well. So. Uh, so find out what your risks are and see if you have any of those risks and what you can do about it. Those are fantastic resources. Thank you. One more I'll add. Um, Dr. Jen Gunter's book, Menopause Manifesto, has a fantastic chapter all about osteoporosis. Um, so if you haven't yes. read that book yet, or if you have it and Fabulous. you just didn't read that chapter for whatever reason, yeah. re or reread re that. Yeah, really, really good resource there. Yeah. All right, yeah. Dr. Yuxal, thank you so much for thank being you. here. This was thanks, enlightening. Yeah. I think people are going to come from a much more empowered place now, um, knowing what they can control and what they should be aware of when it comes to their bone health. Uh, preventing bone attacks. Yes, great. Thank, thank you. you so much. I appreciate being here. Um, and uh, thank you for inviting me. It was a real pleasure. You're welcome. I appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Fitness Simplified Podcast. I hope you found it motivational, inspirational, educational, organizational. If you did find value in this episode today, it would mean a great deal to me if you would leave a rating and review on whatever podcasting platform you are listening to this episode on. It really does help to get this podcast in front of other people. Thanks so much for being here.